leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Good morning. I'm Steve Allen. Coming up here on LBC, you can hear some of my best bits of my early breakfast show this week. I'm here every weekday from 4 till 6.30 and on Sunday from 5 till 7. And here's some of what caught my attention this week. Cams, gongs for cronies, friends and the stylist, Isabel Spearman, uh, who's a hairdresser, apparently gets it. Uh, Also, George Osborne and spin doctor, Thea Rogers... They all get these things, don't they? And then and you start thinking to yourself, is it right? One of the papers was actually trying to explain who else he'd given one to. A total failure. A total failure. And, uh, you know, an OBE for a woman who styles Samantha Cameron's hair. Jack Straw's son gets an honour as well. What on earth they've given it to him for? For being what? A failure. A fa- Mind you, talking of a failure, we found the biggest failure in all. Princess Beatrice, here she is, real time. She's now become a business consultant She's turned her back on her fourth job in five years. She's uh, left her post with the Manhattan investment firm, obviously way too above her head, and uh, she's going to pursue her entrepreneurial ambitions, obviously like dreary mother, like dreary daughter. Uh, at the moment, she's on holiday, I'm afraid again. She's not, not really bothering about this at all. She couldn't really care, actually. And uh, she's holidaying in the Greek islands with friends. Uh, in June, well-placed sources said the Queen's granddaughter had been let go from her role in New York, strongly denied by her aides, who maintained she was only in Britain for the month of June because of a work project. What a load of old codswallop, honestly, isn't it, really? Sources have said she'd moved to another department within the same company, would return to work. However, last week, uh, she's not been at her desk for two months. She's bone idle. Absolutely bone idle, like her father, like her mother and like her sister. They're all bone idle. They seem to have inherited bone idleness. A total waste of space in the royal family. And uh, anyway, she's now resigned to form her own start-up, backed by something called Sandbridge, based in Trump Tower. They advise and invest in fashion, health and consumer businesses. What does she know about any of those things? She doesn't know anything at all. Absolutely nothing. Apparently a friend said she'd not been sacked. No, they just let her go. Because she was a waste of space. They obviously thought she was going to be quite good. But a friend said Beatrice is a young girl making her way in the world. A young girl. How old is she now? What is she? Pushing 70 or something. According to her CV. And uh, she uh, lists her thing as a research associate for her, her mother's charity. She moved to investment firm, but then she quit 16 months later. She was spending more time on holiday than the office. Total waste of space. And, um, and then she was at Sony Pictures... She quit the 19,500 year post. Can you imagine? 19,500 pounds? I don't think so. I spend that on my holidays, but she gets freebies. She's been on Roman Abramovich's yacht. And uh, a Buckingham Palace spokesman says they must be giving up as well. Princess Beatrice continues to pursue a career in business. Beyond this, we've never commented on individual employers. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know what she's doing. She just sits there. Fourth job in five years, and she's now going to be a business consultant with no experience at all, apart from her dreary mother selling a food mixer in America and trying to pretend... Oh, given that thing by that, uh, that university, uh, which the old man, the ex-old man, Prince Andrew, has been around the block about 500 times, is Chancellor or something. I mean, talk about incestuous. God in heaven, it's ghastly, isn't it? This is LBC with Steve Allen. Do you know, cannabis has been around for a long time. I only mention it because it's in the papers today. That cannabis was first used 11,000 years ago. So all those cavemen and those drawings, that was the result of... Oh, blimey, draw, draw a bison. Bison? Bison. OK, we do a bison. Oh. Horse. Let's do a horse. You know, any decent artist was kicked out immediately because they have to have the ones who are stoned to do the pictures of the bison. And we do it in France. Do it in France. Hang on. You draw a leaf. No, they just draw bison. That's all they did, if you notice. It was either bison or horses. It might have been men with spears. And they were sticking. So I think they just made it up. I think they just did it as a laugh. They were off their trolleys most of the time, all these Stone Age cavemen. So they really were... I mean, it's it's the precursor to Sergeant Pepper, isn't it? You know, with Sergeant, let's draw a horse. Sergeant Pepper, imagine the Beatles did some of their best stuff, didn't they? While they were allegedly high, oh, I don't even think allegedly came into it. I don't think I don't think they ever bothered. I remember seeing them sitting down with the Maharaja or whatever he was, or some some crackpot bloke who sat down there and they wrote it, and then they wrote some really good stuff. Imagine doing a radio program like that. That'd be ghastly, wouldn't it? You'd be sitting here laughing. You know, going, oh, no idea where I'm laughing. Could be so funny. Steve Allen on LBC. Seeing that funfair ride this morning, every time I watch it, 
This was this, um, it's a chairplane. We used to call it in the early days a chairplane, but it goes up a lot higher than chairplanes used to. And, uh, and you sort of you go up, 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 and then it starts swinging around, frightens the life out of me. And it got stuck. It jammed 65 feet up in the air. They had to take up cherry pickers. Whoa! I've been on a cherry picker. They gave me a cherry picker one year to do the commentary for the New Year's Day parade. And they said, would you like a cherry picker? Of course, me and my naivety, I went, oh, what a brilliant idea that'll be. And so by Westminster Bridge was the cherry picker. Now, at the time, and it shows how long ago it was, I was smoking. Uh, I also had all my scripts. They, get, they, they gave you a big book with each group of people coming over Westminster Bridge with a number. So before the the marching band or the dancers or whatever it was arrived, there, somebody was holding up a thing going 25 and you would look down your bit of paper 25. Now, sometimes they came out in the wrong order. So I'm controlling my own cherry picker. They put me in this thing. So I've got a packet of cigarettes, a cup of coffee, a microphone and the scripts. So I'm moving this thing up and it goes almost vertical. The actual arm, well, I'm frightened out of my life. I'm terrified of heights anyway. And I'm, I've got a cigarette going, oh, blimey, I'm going to die up here. This is going to be awful. And there's all people crowding around. And then it starts getting windy and this thing's moving. I'm, so you can imagine taking a cherry picker up 60 feet in the air and then expecting somebody to get out of a carriage onto the cherry picker. I'd be terrified out of my life because these carriages move. They're only held on chains. Very brave if you were up there yesterday. If you were one of the, those people, no doubt you can be phoning in to uh, any one of a number of people today. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Sammy Cowell on Judges and the Spice Girl Reunion. He says, I think that you really need all five, skill, five Spice Girls to do it properly. You don't want the watered-down version. Exactly. I mean, put it this way, you cannot have three going out. It has to be five. If it's not five, then they shouldn't do it. Uh, it's as simple as that. And he's right. He knows about these sort of things. But he says, Louis Tomlinson has a new girl band. They're incredible. He has great instincts. Oh, right. Ribbiting. Uh, he says, the X Factor was not right last year. Louis, Nick and Sharon returning has changed that. He's, he's finally admitted that, you know, you need to bring back uh, Sharon Osbourne, you know, because she knows what she's talking about. Uh, Louis, of course, because he's got the experience. Uh, I don't know what Nicole Scherzinger brings to the table. Yoghurt, I imagine. She seems to be advertising yoghurt at the moment. And what about poor Spagbol? Where is she? Well, apparently she's in the studio at the moment. And uh, we don't know what she's doing because she's not in the music business, but she's in the studio anyway. And uh, there could be an album any time soon. And then she's going to have to try and get herself out there to do interviews. But you know that the divorce is going through with her and the uh, the French bloke. And Jean Bernard, Jean Bernard who is au restaurateur. Nobody's ever seen it, but, you know, we talk about it like it really exists. It's quite exciting. It's like talking about Peter Andre's musical career. You know, we know it's out there, it's just very tiny. And so uh, she wants all the secrets uh, of her marriage and her private life kept secret. I can't imagine what secrets she's got. I Seriously, I mean, I'm looking at her thinking, does she really look that ropey when she's got no makeup on if it's not been done professionally? Does she sit there Googling herself or does she sit there staring out the window going, I am famous, I am famous, I am beautiful, I am famous. And then sits there because she doesn't seem to go out very often. Occasionally she goes out with a little boyfriend. It's only because he's sort of 22 and he wants to go, look, I've got an old woman to go out with. You know, and it's sort of, it's a bit of a big up for him. Not really a big up for her at all. It just looks immensely sad. Yeah, but do you think they both sit there playing poker? I found a Pokemon. I found a Pokemon. I can't believe it. It's on the carpet. It's on the carpet. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Honestly, you're so good to me. You're so good to me buying me that Pokemon machine. I love it. Just see it, can't you? You can just imagine how, how dreary their home existence is. Because I don't think, actually, I don't think she can cook. She doesn't look like she can cook. She can probably reheat pizza. I should imagine. You know, take away pizza, reheat it. That would just about be it. Steve Allen on LBC. The papers this morning are full of all sorts of things. Mainly, oh, there's one of them on the sun. This is uh, Simon Danjuk, who had sex with a 22-year-old woman on a desk in his office. Now, to be quite honest, I don't actually see this as a problem story. I know somebody might see it as a problem story. I just see it as an old man, because he's uh, 49, and a 22-year-old bimbo who wanted to have sex with him. It's perfectly legal. There's nothing illegal. He's separated. And uh, so they did. He actually met her on Twitter. 
Doesn't exactly look like a, de- a sort of a difficult pull, does it, really? Met on Twitter, I always like to come back and have sex on a desk. Not exactly the most romantic thing I've ever heard, but, you know, if that's, if that's what they want to do, that's up to them. I couldn't care less. doesn't affect my life, shouldn't affect yours. And um, you don't want to think about it too much, no. Although, strangely enough, I, I've met him. He seems quite personable. The fact that he wants to bed people left, right and centre, I don't actually have a problem with that. It's just that it looks a bit odd, doesn't it? 50-year-old man, 22-year-old girl he met on Twitter. Slightly strange. Slightly strange. And they've got the texts. So would that have come from her or from him? So uh, she goes, uh, Alice, her name is, Alice, do you want to stay or leave? I mean, so he then puts question marks. In the referendum, I'm being serious, she wrote. So she's obviously a political person. And um, he then goes, stop it. Let's talk about how attractive you are. And then she goes, yeah, but what about Eurovision darts, the price of alcohol? He then writes, thought we were talking about sex. (laughs) How you move that from Eurovision? I've got no idea. And um, and Simon, Simon, I'm talking about Europe. You don't take Eurovision into consideration. I'm going to... Then he says a rude word. You so hard, you won't even think about the rude word Eurovision. And she says, I still won't vote Labour, though. He's obviously smooth-talking, isn't he? I mean, honestly, that is enough to just drag anybody over the top of a desk, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, dear God in heaven. So they've got the scene of the crime. It's behind his desk in his Rochdale constituency. But, uh, you know, if she's... I don't know what to say. He meets her online and he has a romp with her. But I spoke to a friend of mine the other day and he has a new uh, a new girlfriend. And uh, so I said, because I always ask the question, I'm dead nosy, I want to know everything. I said, have you, you know, he said, oh no, not on the first date. I said, oh right, okay, fine. He said, second date. And I thought, what, it's, you know, people make such a big deal about things nowadays. I mean, I was talking to somebody, I can't tell you who it is because they're, they're fairly close to this uh, programme, uh, about, you know, how much SEX is overrated. And uh, and they went, yeah, well, you know... Because I don't think it matters, does it? Who was it the other day? Claire Sweeney was saying she's not had a, a date in years. Years! And I thought, well, they, it doesn't really matter, does it? People sort of seem to think you have to have somebody. You've got to sort of go out there and you've got to relate... If you haven't got a relationship, you know, you're like, ooh, bad. That's bad. So Simon has lots of different relationships with obviously lots of people who've got the word easy stamped. Because otherwise, you know, if you're sort of... You know, you're going, oh, can we talk about Eurovision? Then he goes, do you want to come back and be... have, have sex over my desk? And she goes, yes. And you think, <laughs> what sort of person that is? You know what sort of person that is? Do you remember your first date, Steve? Did you do anything apart from a jigsaw? Do I remember my first date? Thinking back, do I remember my first date? I think I might have done, actually. I think it was a total disaster. Total disaster. Because I think I would have been about 15. And, and I can remember who it was with as well. I can remember exactly... Can I? Yes, I can remember who it was with. I can. <laughs> this is LBC with Steve Allen. This is Steve Allen. You're listening to some of the highlights of my early breakfast shows this week. The other producer, he, um, he, uh, he's gone on holiday. Where's he gone to? I can't remember where he's gone to now. Where did he go? Do you remember where? He... Somewhere in Europe. Yeah, he's gone to Denmark. That's right. He's, he's, he's gone. He, he did France before, and now he's away for nine days. I've told him there's nothing in Norway at all. Seriously, you might as well stay here. It's far more exciting than it is going into to Norway. I've been to Norway, you know, and Sweden, and uh, different places like that. I know he's going to Copenhagen, because I said you're going to go, there's nothing in Copenhagen apart from the Tivoli Gardens, and that's about the most exciting thing there is. It, and you can go and eat by the side of, um, by, by the side of a, a, a canal in Copenhagen. When we went there, it, it was lovely, actually. It was, you know, if you like that kind of thing. I don't really, I don't know what to say about East European cities because they all look the same. Belgium was a dump. I wouldn't go to Belgium if you paid me. Ghastly place. So Budapest, that's quite nice. Budapest. A friend of mine went to Budapest. She loved it. She said it was absolutely fantastic. But she went there for one of these spa hotels. You know, where, where sort of people go to a, a spa hotel and you get treatments. I hate treatments. Seriously, I couldn't. I don't like anything that involves taking your clothes off and being touched. I really, I'm, seriously, I, I can't do anything like that at all. I'm really, I, I know Stephen Mulhern probably loves it, but it's not for me. Somebody bought me a thing once, and it, I told you it was this, it was my birthday. And they went, OK, first of all, we're going to go to Burlington House as an exhibition. Then we're going to go to Fortnum and Mason's for afternoon tea. And then I booked you in a massage at Champneys. Worst thing ever for me. 
Worst thing ever. Seriously, I just, I'm not very good at taking my clothes off full stop. I don't mind doing it here in the studio because it upsets the producer. But, you know, to actually do it, somebody, and they give you a little towel. They might as well have given me a flannel. Seriously, it was, a, I mean, it was, it was so small. And they, and they lie down and they think you're relaxed. I'm rigid. Rigid with fear. And, uh, and she lights little candles. But, of course, immediately I'm thinking, I live in a world of candles. It's like basically being laid out in a chapel. And so they light candles and then they sort of put on this sort of soothing... You know, I think it was it was sort of, it was music. What was it? It wasn't music. It was waves, waves crashing on the sand, which just made me want to go to toilet. Seriously, I, all I could think about was I'm going to need a wee in about five minutes' time. And then they say, okay, and they start massaging, and I, oh, I hated it. Seriously, I hated it. I thought, don't go anywhere near my nipples, please. And uh, it was, sort of, it was, and then they're sort of doing this, and then and then she goes, can you turn over? So you're wearing, you're wearing what is tantamount to a flannel. So when you turn over, I mean, you know, you know I, sh- I swear to God, she sniggered. I swear to God, she sniggered like, <clears throat> like that. I thought this is just the, the way. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Why you can't keep your pants on? I don't know. Steve Allen on LBC. Now, what are you buying your producer at Christmas, says Andrew? Oh, same as I bought him last year, only a lot more of it. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. It's a bit difficult to buy. You know, I mean, what do you buy? Somebody like him who has everything. I mean, the simple answer is penicillin. But I decided that maybe that, that wasn't the best idea. So I don't know what to buy. I mean, generally for, for Christmas, if I've still got the same producer, you know, and sometimes I manage to have a word with the managers. We get them removed about November the 15th. So then I don't have to buy them anything. I go, oh, God, they're passed on to somebody else. And I get somebody new who doesn't get a prize or a present because um, they've not been on the programme long enough. You have to earn have to earn your spurs in this day. And I don't know what to I thought tin of toffees or something like that. That would be sort of something nice, wouldn't it? Continued Quality Street, Fiverr. It's all right. Yeah. How much more money do you want? I mean, no point in buying him anything exotic. There is no point in buying him, say, you know, a nice expensive candle. He wouldn't appreciate it. He wouldn't appreciate it because, you know, it would then spoil him for sort of the finer things in life. And, of course, he can't afford the finer things in life. So the idea is that you don't spoil somebody like that. I don't want to insult him by giving him money. So I've come up with an idea which I think is, is the gift that keeps on giving... It's a signed photo of me on the Radio Times. And I'm going to have it uh, f- framed, because I'm far too mean to actually you know, have a proper photograph taken. And I'm going to cut it out. Even my boss asked me the other day uh, whether or not I was going to get it framed. And I don't, don't, what do you do with 100 copies of the Radio Times? Anyway, so I'm going to give one to the producer, get it framed up cheaply. I'll have to go to Poundland. I'm just going to sign it, you know, to whoever. And uh, all the best, Steve. You know, and that's, I don't want to make it look too familiar. So that'd be a nice present, won't it? I'm sorry if I preempted your your gift now. By the way, I'm not wrapping it. It comes in the Poundland bag, the same as all of them. Steve Allen on LBC. Uh, somebody's got um, a house, and it's a derelict house in Croydon, not Shirley. Lovely. I'm not. I'm not sure actually. I mean, I wouldn't want to live in Croydon. It's not my sort of thing, is it? Really. It's also too far out. I spoke to somebody the other day. One of our presenters here lives in Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire, and gets a coach every day. That must be a couple of hours in and a couple of hours back again, mustn't it? I mean, that seemed like a heck of a journey. I was complaining. Doesn't... What? I have a producer who lives in Croydon, do I? Does Chris live in Croydon? Does he? Are you sure? I don't remember that. I thought he lives... No, he can't live in Croydon. Well, I don't know. Sometimes we actually get the bus together out here and we sort of, it goes on to Penge. Is that near Croydon? I don't know. I'm not really sure if Penge is near Croydon. Is it? Chris, he's a Crystal Palace, is he? He's got a bicycle as well, apparently. He was telling me about his uh, his sort of bicycle, and I thought, lovely, it's good, you know. I don't know if he's got uh, if he's got sort of lycra or something like that to wear. We think there'd be quite a lot of lycra actually if Chris was uh, Chris was involved. A lot of people talking about this uh, this sort of temperature and what you can cope with, and it turns out that none of us can cope with it. We don't need to matter today. It doesn't matter at all because you've got rain, and you're going to what? What's the matter? Honestly, I can always tell when you've got something to say to me and then you hide your mouth so I can't see it. A bit difficult. You're what? You're watting? Oh, right, OK. Honestly, it just drives you mad, doesn't it, really? Seriously, I mean, I try and bring him into the programme. I try and I try and pretend that we're friends for the purposes of this showbiz programme. So that, you know, and then he sits, sits outside and he's wearing this shirt, which he, I said, oh, that's new. And he said, no, you've seen it before. And I said, I've never seen that shirt before. And then he starts an argument. And I wasn't sure if he was deliberately starting an argument, so I was going to lose my temper. Because if I lose my temper, I mean, there's a very good chance he's going to be carried out of here on a stretcher. You know, and nobody messes with the Allen. 
They really don't. I've not seen it before. And I'm not going... No, the other one was the tablecloth. This is another one. And then he walked out the room and then came back with another shirt completely, which he was wearing. So he's obviously got a selection of shirts hidden in this building. Those odd occasions where he has to sort of, you know, kit down for the night, you know, because he's had a bit of a late night. He went out to a party on Friday. It was somebody's leaving do. And uh, I had reports coming back of what it was like. It was uh, apparently a lot of a lot of alcohol was was consumed yeah, not not from him because he's way too mean, and uh, he'd rather be went back to his place, but took a bottle. You know the sort of person. You know the sort of person that is. It's sort of somebody said, "Listen, why don't you all come around to my place and uh, I'll I'll do some food, bring a bottle." You know, and that's it. And he stands at the door and he vets it. No, we've had we've had Lambrusco before. Take that away. Because a lot of people take a really cheap bottle of wine to a party, don't they? And end up drinking somebody else. I mean, because somebody else has been foolish to take vodka. Or something like that. Uh, me, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd take my own bottle if I do a party. And to be honest with you, I'm not bothered about parties. I take my own bottle and I keep it with me. I'm not putting it on a table. They say, oh, you can put your bottles down there. I think not. I think not. We, 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 we don't do stuff like that. Steve Allen on LBC. Uh, 84850, Wayne's in Croydon. You'd have to be with a name like Wayne, wouldn't you? I mean, what else would you be in Croydon but Wayne? Hello, Wayne, where'd you come from? I come from Croydon. Well, we would have guessed that one immediately. And uh, Dan says, I'm selling my beautiful two-up, two-down terrace in Croydon. Yeah, Croydon, though, it's really two-down, 16-up, isn't it, really, I thought, in there? And it, it, I'm sorry, nothing in Croydon is beautiful. Seriously, let's not be silly about it, shall we? It's Croydon. We're talking the pits, the end of the universe. It is a little bit like that. Steve Allen on LBC. People really use dating apps in this day and age. I mean, I don't want to appear terribly naive, but is that the easiest way to go out there, to go on Tinder and Grindr? It's all on the face. I don't like I don't like any sort of information on my telephone at all. I, wouldn't, I don't have any apps on my phone. Wait a minute. Having said that, I better just check. I have no apps. I'm not a, I'm not an app person. I mean, I've got things like uh, the camera and uh, a Starbucks card and a new. The only app I've got is the news thing, where I tap on it and it gives me all the latest news stories, and that's all I've got. I've got nothing else at all. Nothing. I mean, I've got I've got Twitter and I've got my music, but I've got um find find my iPhone. But to be honest with you, I mean, that's not much use, is it? If I lose the iPhone, I've got another six at home that I can just pick up and just load into the system again. So I don't sort of... So, but I don't have any ad... Uh, I don't have any... I've got Shazam, but that's not really anything like that, is it? I don't... They're all apps, but I don't have any dating apps. I wouldn't have a dating app. I wouldn't have sort of anything like Tinder or anything like that on here. Because a friend of mine, when he, when he first got it, he was on Grinder, And he said, oh, look, there's somebody 20 feet away. And I'm looking around thinking, Where? Where is this person? Who is this person? And they go, wait a minute, now there's, an, now there's somebody else who's interested. They're half a mile away. I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, people could be walking past you and you have no idea. And so I've often thought, because the more information you put on your telephone, the more information there is that people know about you. And most people tell fibs. So people, you know, when they say, there used to be another dating thing, and I can't remember what it was called years ago, but it was another one where you had your, your photo up there, and then Peter went, uh, people used to say, oh, right, that's a really nice photo. And then you go, of course, I've got another file with other photos in as well. And they had sort of what I would call naughty photos of themselves. Well, I mean, that would have been a disaster for me. I mean, seriously, nobody's going to be interested with clothes on, let alone with clothes off. But apparently that's the latest thing now. School kids send pictures of each other's bits to each other. I mean, thank God. I mean, in my day, we didn't have phones. so We had to do a line drawing and hold it up in class. You know, and that was about as far as it got. But I just, it's, it's obviously the latest thing, but it turns out that you're not getting as much SEX, which is, I'm assuming, what people are doing it for. You're not joining these apps, are you, to go out there and hold hands and do kissy-kissy. You're hoping for something a little bit, uh, little bit better than that. Thank God you get to a certain age where you really can't be bothered, I promise you. The excitement of going up that, uh, that tower in Brighton is far more appealing than it is going out on a date. You imagine, oh, imagine going through the dating process again. You get past the age of 45 and you go, the dating process. I watch them. Look at poor old Esther Ranson. Poor old soul. Honestly, 77 and goes out on a dinner day. God, it's like going out with a corpse. Seriously, I mean, she could have sat there look, looking like she was embalmed. I mean, what, uh, it looks bad enough with clothes on, let alone with taking anything off. I mean, you just don't do that at a certain age. I think it, sh- it should be forbidden, verboten. You know, who wants to see Prince Philip, you know, on the beach? No, thank you. We don't want to see anything like that at all, do we? But it's obviously, you know, people obviously like that kind of thing. and it obviously, appe- But it's obviously not working. 
It's obviously not working. I remember somebody telling me once, we, we went up to Manchester in Scotland where people are very friendly and talk to you. We bumped into people who said that, um, you know, we, we actually came down to London and we thought London was really cold. Nobody speaks to you. Of course they don't. There's too many loonies around London. You know, if somebody comes up to you and, hello, and you go, yeah, I just thought I'd say hello. And you think, where's, where's the police? Where's the police? Get the police out. You know, so you don't talk to anybody in London. You really don't talk to anyone. If you want to meet people, get a job in a bar. Get a job in a bar. That's the only time you're ever going to meet people. Or, I mean, not even working in a shop, at least in a bar, because the person in front of you that's serving drinks is gradually getting more and more tiddly and you're going to look more and more appealing to them. doesn't matter how ugly you are, you can always pull if you're in a bar and you're working behind it. Seriously. Admittedly, of course, you're sober and they're just getting worse and worse until they, they just slither off the stool in front of you and you have to kind of go, uh, have them taken to my room. It's much easier that way, isn't it? Leading Britain's conversation, LBC, with Steve Allen. This is Steve Allen. You're listening to some of the highlights of my early breakfast shows this week. You learn things on this programme. I think radio should be educational. Not always. Not always. I don't think you have to. But I think you actually get, you know, to the end of a programme and somebody says, you know, I learnt something today that I didn't know before. Like John the Cabbie says, the Hippodrome. Did it used to be called the Talk of the Town? Yes. Uh, now, I can't remember whether or not there was a TV show called Live from the Talk of the Town. I can't remember that. There were certainly lots of live shows. I can remember all sorts of people working. And I, they did a few TV shows. I'm sure that Scylla Black did a TV show down at the Talk of the Town. Because what it was, the Talk of the Town uh, was a dinner and cabaret. So you would go down... And you would sit at tables and you'd have chicken and chips or chicken in the basket or scampi in the basket or whatever it was. Probably not scampi. It was far too exotic. And um, it's I think it's the only survivor uh, of uh, of really all of these sort of things. I mean, it's, it's been everything. It's been everything. It's been a circus. They've had variety shows there. Uh, 1958, it was the talk of the town. 83, it became the Hippodrome. And then it was Cirque. In 2004, designed by Frank Matcham, the man who does... You can tell a Frank Matcham theatre, it's all very ornate. And inside, the one thing you'll notice, if you go into the Hippodrome now, there was a, there was a sliding roof, and they used to have... Um, they, they, they could flood the whole arena very quickly there into a huge tank. Uh, they could get the water in and out in a matter of minutes, I think. And elephants would slide down into the thing, and they had swimming elephants, and also they had red Indians coming down in their canoes from the top of the building. And if you go into the Hippodrome, do it today. You don't have to pay to go in there. Just don't take bags in because you have to check those in. So just go without any bags. And, uh, and it was a musical and theatre. And you look up the, the seating in there at the moment for the restaurant bit of it is the old Frank Matcham tiered seating. You can see it. You stand underneath it. And if you look right to the top, you'll see it's all gold. In fact, we did loads of photos. We went there while they were actually building it. And, um, and that's where they used to have the, the kayaks coming off the top into the water and everything else. It was, it was quite a place. But, it, of course, it was more famous, really, as the place that launched... Um, who was it? Was it Petula Clark? No, it wasn't Petula Clark. Oh, it was... Um, oh, God, I forgot to remember. Uh, the person who used to sing there, everybody used to sing. I mean, um, everybody appeared there. I think it was Dusty Springfield, Engelbert Humperdinck, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, The Temptations, Eartha Kitt, Shirley Bassey. But Julie Andrews was the one they used to have. It was a big thing. You could look at pictures of it. I think you'll probably find it on YouTube. And they would come to the, to the show and they'd go, would any little girl like to sing? And she'd put her hand up. She was the plant in the, in the audience. And she would sing at the, uh, at the Hippodrome. So Julie Andrews used to sing... At the Hippodrome, as was. And uh, they used to have a gay night on a, on a Monday. Um, and it's got all sorts of things. I mean, if, if you actually go back far enough... I'll tell you what's my most favourite thing. I typed it in a few months ago, years ago. Um, and there you go, Sound of Music. Oh, Sound of Music playing at the Hippodrome. Not quite the same thing, I don't think. And, uh, but I, I used to watch uh, Judy Garland... At the London Palladium. Judy Garland at the London Palladium was quite something, actually. Uh, I think the club was called Bang. No, Bang was in Charing Cross Road, Warren. And uh, Jeremy Joseph runs G-A-Y. But uh, no, Bang was up at the old Sundown in Charing Cross Road. Uh, remember it very well. Very, very well. Indeed. It was... Uh, it was Bang's disappeared now. It's where that new cross-rail thing's gone. And so it all came down. They took down the theatre... 
Uh, that was also a theatre which had John, Paul, George and Bert playing with uh, Barbara Dixon. So lots around that area. Now it's all gone for this crossrail thing. Shame, really, isn't it? Great shame. Steve Allen on LBC. Uh, so Richard says, as you're fully aware, gin is a depressive and known as mother's ruin because it was away in the 1800s of aborting a baby. I didn't know it was used for that. I just know that uh, somebody's always said to me it was uh, a depressive. I can't bear it. I love looking at all the bottles, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink it. It's like whiskey. I'm not really a particular whiskey drinker. And yet years ago, when I first started drinking, I was late. I was very late coming to drinking. I know that sounds a bit ludicrous, because in our family, if we had Sunday lunch as a family together, we would have a bottle of wine. And it was always Liebfraumilch. My father grew up on German wine, so consequently we got Liebfraumilch. Now, it was only when I realised I started drinking, there was a whole array of wines out there that I'd never discovered before. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy the taste of it, so I didn't drink until I was about 18 or 19. And I started drinking, what did I drink? Bacardi and Coke. You know when Bacardi and Coke was fashionable? Uh, Bacardi and Coke, please. I used to think, God, I'm so adult. I'm so adult drinking Bacardi and Coke. And if you really flash, uh, double, double, thank you. And they do a double measure. And, uh, and then I moved on to Southern Comfort. Uh, uh, uh. Awful. Awful. It was, sort of, it was a bit too sickly. Uh, and I tried whiskey and ginger. And, and then to be really flash, you go, uh, whiskey in Canada dry. Whiskey in Canada. You just came with a little, little sort of split bottle. And, uh, and then I tried whiskey and lemonade. And that was a bit naff and boring. And, uh, and then I... What did I try? I tried... Uh, I never tried Malibu. Malibu was such a girl's drink. Malibu and pineapple. Malibu and pineapple. Oh, sitting side saddle, are we? No, just like dry Malibu. And so I, I never kind of bothered with things like that. And I used to say that, you know, when you're sort of waiting to be served in the bar, trying desperately to attract somebody's attention, and I'd just become invisible. People, I'm, people do not see me. I could wave a £50 note, and, and you think, but, but I was here before them. And they go, um, what would you like? And the person, I'll have uh, four pints. Is anybody else serving? Can't anybody see me? Why can't people see me? So you take out two £50 notes and wave them in the air and still you're invisible. And I used to be... Oh. So when I worked behind a bar, looking after it for some friends of mine, I used to get really annoyed with the girls behind the bar and I'd say, it's a customer down there. You can see them. It's a customer there. Don't make them feel like I did years ago. And so... And then, and then when they came to you, go, I'll have... Um, no, oh, they've gone again. They've gone again. Because sometimes if they were really good behind the bar, they could serve two or three people at the same time. And I used to get... Because I never drank beer... And I never drank uh, bitter or bottled beers or lager or anything. I never did any of that stuff at all. I don't know. I couldn't stand the taste of it. And I'd worked in enough bars. Middle of summer, somebody would come in and go, uh, half a lager and lime. <laughs> half a lager and lime. Peasant. And so you do it, you know, and then you do a splash of lime, which you'd water down anyway to make the bottle go further. And, uh, and I tried it once. It was horrid. Seriously, it was horrid. And then I learned to make whiskey sour. I thought I was being really clever, making a whiskey sour. And uh, it was vile. But it, but you got got your tiddly a bit quicker than anything else. And then I sort of kind of settled on wine. And I and I tried all sorts of wines. And, and I was sort of thinking, oh, this is good. And then, that, and then I discovered Prosecco. And life changed dramatically. Uh, a little bit more expensive than anything else. As you can imagine, if you drink Prosecco in a bar, you can be spending £25, £30 a bottle, which is a lot. If you have it in a restaurant, it could be anything up to about 50 I would imagine. Probably cheaper to drink champagne. But I like it. I find it very light and, and drinkable. And I've, I haven't drunk wine for ages. And I certainly haven't had... I have got a bottle of Baileys in the kitchen. I haven't even bothered. I had some peach schnapps, which I bought from a... Where did I buy it from? Southampton. They were doing all these different flavours, and this was peach. And I bought... I don't know what I'm supposed to... You're supposed to add it, I think, to Prosecco. You can add peach schnapps to Prosecco. So I tried that a few... That was a bit dull and boring. And then I bought some flavoured vodkas. And that was quite nice. But to be brutally honest, a Prosecco, it makes me feel vaguely Italian. You know, but I can't stand the food. So I have anything but Italian. People go, oh, do you have pasta? Do I look like I have pasta? Of course I don't have pasta. I'd rather have a piece of Kentucky, but um, I don't have that very often either. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Uh, addicts risk their lives. Others are mugged and some lose their marbles. The Pokemon craze. The papers have now decided to do articles on it. We know people round here who um, who have got into the... Pokemon craze. And to be honest with you, I don't understand it. I'm an adult and uh, I understand most things. Uh, I don't understand anything to do with 
you know, little things that you sort of... I mean, apparently they're in here as well. How dull is that? And they've taken pictures. I think Mike took a picture of... There was one in the studio with sort of... Uh, with Darren. And I'm thinking, you're mad as a fruitcake. You really are. But he's addicted to it. In fact, he spends most of his time on his telephone looking at it going... Yeah, and you think you need to get a life. You need to get out more. You need to get on some medication, some basically strong medication. Because he's the only person I've met who's over the age of 22 who's still doing this thing. I don't know anybody else who does it. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously not, not a gay thing at all. I don't think you find gays doing Pokemon Go. It's not really the... You just don't... It's just people have got better things to do rather than get you know, nails done or something like that or your hair coloured or something interesting. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Listen, good news if you're a fan of Mary Poppins, because they say that there could be another film, a, a Hollywood remake. I don't see how you can improve on, on perfection. But they reckon that uh, Emily Blunt has been cast as Poppins, and they say that the original stars, Dame Julie and Dick Van Dyke, could actually uh, have little cameos in it. Dick Van Dyke is now 90. Uh, and to be honest with you, I mean, people sort of... <laughs> He might be spared having to do a Cockney accent. I didn't really think it was that bad. I know people made a big thing about it, saying, oh, it was ludicrous and, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's like we don't do American accents. What we do is sort of a general, you know, how y'all kind of thing. Whereas, in fact, every part of America is completely different. I went to see The Secret Garden years ago with Mandy Patinkin and there was somebody there trying to do an English accent. Well, I mean, it could have been anywhere between here and Barnstable. It was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But uh, but that doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. We don't do American accents. They don't do British accents. Some of them do, but n- not many of them. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Do you know that one in four women make love in the dark because they dislike their bodies? I think that's really because their other half dislikes their bodies, isn't it, more? And then you can pretend, can't you? I mean, it's, you know, so, one, so people make love in the dark. <laughs> not me, floodlights. Floodlights, everything on, all the lights on, open the curtain, everything. I'm so delighted just to even get to that stage, you know. <laughs> Not anybody goes to me, so today we're going to make love. Woo! On with the lights, here we go. We've got floodlights in the studio. I put them on, it's like being back at home. Steve Allen on LBC. This is Steve Allen. You're listening to some of the highlights of my early breakfast shows this week. More and more people wake up and they go, I wake up at four in the morning. I'm there for Steve Allen's 4am spike. But unfortunately this morning you, never, you nearly didn't get me. We had another disastrous taxi journey in this morning. So I had to drive. I had to drive in. I nearly... I mean, you know the situation. I'll tell you how it works. The cab is a regular, every day. Every day, same time, the cab turns up. Sometimes we have stupid people who can't find me. I'm the only one standing on the road, me and a fox, and nobody else. There's nobody within 20 bloody miles in either direction. Anyway, so this morning, he turns up early, but he decides to go to sleep. So, and he's not parked near me. He's up the road somewhere. So, I'm sort of standing there thinking... Hmm, what are we going to do? I mean, he is here quite early, 25 minutes early. You would have thought, being intelligent, if he had the intelligence, that he'd pick me up, bring me to town, that he could carry on earning money. No, he decides to go to sleep for 30 minutes. So he goes to sleep. So we then get past the pick-up time. So I phone. You're late. I put the phone down. This doesn't phase him in the slightest. Doesn't fa- he, he's, he's not moving from where he is, because he thinks he's on the right road, which he is. He's just nowhere near me. So... It's now gone half past, we get to 25 two, and I phone him again. Where are you? I'm on so-and-so road. I said, you're not with me. Uh, so I put the phone down. Five minutes later, I call him again. You're still not here. You're now really late. We're now getting to quarter two. We're now 15 minutes late. You've got one minute to start your little vehicle and push it round to wherever it needs to go to, but to be with me, or I'm driving in. Uh, nothing, nothing, not a peep out of him. I'm in the right place. Listen, I've got a map. They send you a map. You can see where you are and you can see where they are. And he wasn't with me. So in the end, I thought, sod this for soldiers. I'm going to be really late. So I go and get my car out. Endless cost of petrol and stuff like that, as you can well imagine. And and I bring it. As I pass him, I wind down the window and I shout, you know, usual sort of things like, I hope you never work ever again. You're an idiot. And uh, all that kind of thing. I'm now driving my own car in, which is a lot better than your one. 
So I drive in. Three quarters of the way into town, I get a phone call from the company. Uh, your driver's outside. I said he can sit there and whistle, as far as I'm concerned. And I explained the scenario of exactly how we've got to the situation where I'm having to drive myself in because you've got an idiot driver who can't find an address. I mean, the man was stupid beyond belief. And so that put me in a foul mood. But anyway, I thought that's always good, actually. If you come in in a bad mood and then you look at the uh, the audience figures, that kind of sort of balances that out a bit, doesn't it? So you sort of get, you know... You sort of, and so that even that didn't help. Even that didn't help. I was still in a bad mood even after I'd looked at the audience figures. And even after people have been texting saying it looks good. Eddie Mayer sent me a text because I was, I was panicking yesterday. Sorry to name drop, but wait a minute. God was talking to me the day before. And... Um, and Because I, I panic. Before I go to bed the night before the audience figures come out, because you always think in this business, just supposing you've gone off the boil, just supposing all of a sudden people fall, fall out of love with the programme for whatever reason. Doesn't doesn't matter what it is. Maybe they just go, oh, I don't listen to it anymore. And all of a sudden they have to phone you up and go, listen, Steve, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, the audience figures have died. Um, and, and you do worry about it. I mean, I shouldn't really, but I do. And they keep saying, don't worry about it. Listen, you walk it, you walk it. I said, listen, I'm never that complacent about the audience figures. So I go to bed and I have a dreadful night's sleep. Night before Rachel, I lie there tossing, tossing again, and then turning and it just and and in the end I have to get up out of bed and you have to wait till about 20 past 12 before this website puts up the thing so I'm thinking oh god I'm not sure I can look at it I'm not sure and so I go on to it I then develop a coughing fit so there I am I forgot to water the baskets I, I look at the audience figures and I go Oh, that's all right. That's all right. And, I'm, and because I'm sort of fairly comfortable with it, I then just sort of sit down, have, have a cup of coffee and have a shave and sort of think, Phew, got through another one. Because that's what you do in this business. It, you're as good as your last set of audience figures and you don't do anything different. So if the audience figures drop off for any programme, it doesn't matter. You don't do anything different. I don't all of a sudden think I'm going to change the style of the programme. I'm going to start putting in more newsy items. Perhaps, you know, Steve talks politics for sort of 25 minutes or say, what did they offer me the other day? I laughed. I seriously, the... the He's going to hate me for saying this. The producer said, we, we've been offered a book about a journalist who went to meet ISIS. I said, for which programme would this be? And he said, I thought for In Conversation. Now, we've clutched at straws in the past, but I've never done anything on ISIS in my entire life. I said, to be honest with you, if you can find anybody in ISIS who's a bit show busy, then maybe we can do it. I said, but at this precise moment in time, I'm not thinking Steve Allen in conversation, talking to a journalist about ISIS because he's been out of the country. And so that was, he went, I, th- I thought that that would be the case. I said, just think showbiz Versailles. OK, that's all, you, that's all you need to think about with this programme. There's nothing more complicated than showbiz and Versailles because I'm fascinated by both of them or the pyramids or anything like that, but certainly not ISIS. Thank you very much indeed. So all in all, it's been a, a fairly traumatic few hours. But at the end of the day, LBC records its, its best figures Ever. Now, whether this is a, as a result of Brexit, I've got no idea. It's certainly an opportunity for people to talk about it. And we've sort of touched on it briefly on this programme, like Brexit, and that's it. I don't do anything else because I'm not that sort of presenter. I'm afraid I'm, I'm, what, they, I'm what they call lightweight. I'm very lightweight presenter. I, I can, I, you know, if, if, an, if something really ghastly happens in London, then I, I can step up to the mark. But the majority of the time, I'm a lightweight presenter. But every, every blasted time we get to these figures, every time I go through this hell... I seriously, I start drinking. I start, well, it doesn't take much to get me to open a bottle of Prosecco, but I mean, you know, first thing in the morning is a bit ludicrous, I agree. And I sort of think to myself, I don't know, just supposing one year, all of a sudden, the audience vanish. But it doesn't. It seems to get bigger and bigger. I mean, how much bigger can it get? Answer is a lot bigger. Because the more people you tell about it, it doesn't matter. You know, you might love this programme. You might sort of love James O'Brien more. Obviously not. But, you know, or you might like sort of Sheila Fogarty. It doesn't matter. There's something for everybody. And that's the whole idea about it. It's supposed to be radio. More people are tuning into radio now. More people are getting addicted to radio because you can take it with you. You can't take television with you. You can take radio with you. It doesn't matter if you're in the car or you're on holiday or on the beach or, you know, cycling. You've got your little earpieces in. You can listen to LBC. And that's why it works. So, you know, I have to say thank you because, listen, without you as being part of the spike and being part of the audience figures, which are fantastic. I mean, it's, it's seriously gone up. I mean, it's, it's, woo, it's, it's very nice. And that's what, that's what gives me a contract at LBC. That's where, that encourages my boss to say, good audience figures. And we have to sit down and we have to go through it in front of everybody, which is always my worst nightmare anyway, just in case one day they've actually gone off. And, um, and so they then go, oh, you know, Steve's figures. Because I'm always the first one at the meetings. 
Everybody be sitting there. All the, all the presenters go except the people who are on air. And we all sit in this room. All the producers are there, news people, everybody. And we all have to sit in this room. And then we have a little chat about the way it's going. And then we get down to the audience figures. Because <laughs> I'm the first one off. Because I start, I don't know why, I start the day. Because it's called early breakfast, which, in, it, which sort of uh, intrudes onto a bit of Nick's uh, breakfast. Because I'm, I'm sort of there as the part-time warm-up. And so far, it seems to be working. But you always worry, just supposing the little... Because they do it in graphs. They do bars. And they have to sit there and look at it. And you think, you know... And you, you can't jump up and down and go, yeah! Get really excited, because it makes it look a bit bad. So you have to sort of pretend you're not particularly bothered by it. But secretly, you're really bothered by it. And as long as my boss likes it, and as long as he's happy with what we're doing, I'm happy. Because that's all I'm pleasing. I'm pleasing the boss. If he doesn't like me, if I get a boss in who doesn't like me, then, you know, I'll be wandering off and sort of knitting outside the tumbrils, I think, and waiting for the guillotine to drop. But so far, we're doing all right. So biggest audience, biggest spike we've had for, for ages. And uh, I've got friends in the business who, uh, who tell me... And when I said yesterday about, you know, I wonder if, what, what the audience figures will be like, what LBC's audience figures will be like, and a lot of friends of mine in the business were, te- uh, were writing back, like Eddie Mayer, saying, um, it's, it's going to be up. How people know, I've got no idea. I just think people guess. Steve Allen on LBC. Every time I've been on a plane and we land safely, I wait for the captain and the crew to come out so I can thank them. Always appreciated, said Amanda. Oh, you don't, you. Lord, that's like people getting off the bus and going, thank you, driver. Who says that? Who's, who says that on a bus? There's a woman who, who I see on a bus fairly regularly and she always gets off the bus. She goes, thank you, driver. I mean, what's that about? Are we supposed to say that? And then it's always appreciated. No, they always go, thank you, loony. <laughs> they always say that, don't they? And then she says, it's, it's like we're expected to give a hairdresser a tip, yet not someone who's responsible for our lives. Well, you don't give a tip to the bus driver, do you? I mean, for some reason, we tip taxi drivers. Don't ask me why. Tipping has always been a, a bit of an odd thing with me. We, we, we tip in restaurants for somebody bringing your plate to the table. They haven't cooked the food. You know, and yet you don't go and tip the person who's cooked it. You tip the person who brings it to the table. Why don't they just give you a ring and say, Steve, your food's ready, and I stand up and go and pick up the plate and bring it back to the table. I hate all these restaurants now. They've found a way round it. They actually put the tip on the bill. And that's the way that they get round it, because they know damn well, if they, if they left it up to you, you wouldn't tip them. So we tip all sorts of people. You have to tip the person who washes your hair. And the reason you tip the person who washes your hair in the hairdresser is because they don't earn very much money. So you tip them to make their money up. They, of course, don't declare it to the tax man. It's sort of unearned income. It just goes in the pocket. But if you go into a restaurant, it mainly goes into a pot and then it's divided top downwards. So if you're the the waiter, you might not get... So I always give personally to the waiter. And we tip taxi drivers. And yet I don't tip the driver who brings me in in the morning because I'm an account customer. So I don't tip. But it's stupid getting out the other end and going, and there's a pound for your trouble. You think, no, you're earning money. That's what you do. And yet we tip taxi drivers. I don't know why. Why do we tip hairdressers? Why do you not tip the person in the supermarket who packs your bag in Marks and Spencers? You don't do that, do you? Why? Why do... What am I eating? Um, why, why is it you get off a plane and you don't go to the, to the stewardess? There's a fiver. Thank you very much indeed for looking after us. Because you might not ever see them again. I wouldn't know if I'd been on a plane two or three times with the same staff on there, but you don't tip them. You don't go through customers and go, gee, that was a very good experience. There's a pound. Or something like that. You don't, you don't go into the sweet shop, pick up your sweeties, and then go, and there's an extra 50p for yourself. And yet you tip a barman. They always go, sense so you go, and uh, one for yourself? What for? What on earth do you want to give tips to them for? They're making a fortune. You're kidding. They want a drink, they just help themselves. I think, it's, I think we, we, we've got a bit out of hand. In America, they're even worse. They tip everywhere in America. You can't go through anything without, without tipping. They just live on tips. Live on tips. That's how they survive. Waiters, waitresses, car jockeys, people who wash the car, stuff like that. I mean, I used to give... I mean, I went to pick up stuff from DHL the other day, as you know. And the lady behind the counter, I gave her a box of, uh, of chocolates uh, because I bought them in the, in the car. And she seemed quite happy. And I thought that was a nice thing to do because she's always really nice to me. But, you know, you can't really offer money. That looks, there are certain people who wouldn't, wouldn't offer money to... You know, you offer money to the hairdresser, to the taxi driver, to the waiting staff, but you don't give anything to the chef. I always tip the maitre d's, 
in restaurants because they're the ones who I'll have my first port of call with. And they go, hi, Steve. Nice to see you back again. Got your table ready. And that's it. So I always, I always tip for that. Always tip for that. You tip the cloakroom person for taking your coat and then losing it in a cloakroom. That's what you do, isn't it? You actually tip somebody in the cloakroom. Steve Allen on LBC. Are they men or women on the television? We didn't know, actually. We're just looking at somebody on Sky. They're men. Thank you. (laughs) They're definitely men. Why you can always tell drag, I don't know. But uh, you can always spot drag, can't you, a mile off. Are they sort of promotion? Actually, a couple of them look, look quite good, but then there's a couple of very old drag queens. As somebody who grew up watching drag in the London pubs, it was the best entertainment ever. It really was. I mean, some of it was so good. It's still good, isn't it? It's still, but you don't get it so much in the London pubs anymore. It's sort of it's disappeared off. There used to be years ago acts like, well, of course, it's in Brighton. Brighton's about fifteen years behind the rest of the world. You know, arrive in Brighton and they're they're still doing stuff from the eighties down there. You've probably still got the Disappointer Sisters going on and things like that. And Maisie Trollette is probably still hawking herself up on stage in a pair of crutches. I mean, it's, I used to see all these. We used to go around with um, drag queens called the Harley Queens. And they were, one was Welsh. And in fact, I put them on LBC because drag in London, we have a history in London of having loads of places. The cricketers in Battersea, they would, they would be on the bar. They would actually be on the bar doing the, the act around the bar. And then, of course, uh, loads of places. Vauxhall Tavern was very famous indeed. Uh, there was the Royal Oak in Hammersmith. There were loads of places where you could go and see drag. And then all of a sudden, it sort of fizzled out a bit. And then a lot of the drag had to go blue. Um, blue meant that they could then do the stag shows. So they'd, do, they'd be effing and blinding. You'd always have the drag compare. Then you'd have a couple of strippers. And, and then you'd have another drag act who'd be on the bill. But I used to go and see a guy years ago called Mark Fleming. Mark Fleming was a big Jewish drag act. And he made a point of telling everybody he was a big Jewish mummer. And uh, he used to appear with Mrs Shufflewick at the Black Cap in Camden. And it was the funniest thing ever. Mrs Shufflewick was very famous, uh, old Reg Jameson, as, uh, as the drag act who <laughs> was too drunk to appear. And uh, he was a big star in his day until the drink got him. And uh, he used to appear at the Black Cap, completely off his off his face. And people used to send drinks round to his dressing room. So by the time he got up on stage, you could sometimes blurt out two words, and then he'd collapse. Mark Fleming used to come on in a filthy rage. All right, who got him drunk? <laughs> so they'd have to carry him off again. It was very funny. Happy days, happy days. And now the Black Cap in Camden Town is, is gone. How it was ever allowed to close, I've got no idea. Those are all the highlights I've got time for for this morning. And don't forget, I'm here from five tomorrow morning, and I'm here with your 4am spike all next week too.